Tommy and I set several records working together that I think still stand um, five years later. And we were like, the record was like 41 appointments or something. And we were doing 85 in a month. From the University of Alabama's Colorado College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories most people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens, and I show today, Jake Agner. Jake graduated from the University of Alabama, eventually working for a financial management company, went back to school for his law degree at Georgetown, and now works as an attorney practicing in a very specific field of business that I cannot wait to share with you today. I hope you enjoy Jake Agner. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. So I actually like to start off sort of like how we personally met. I've been doing this podcast for roughly two years now, and we've put out a bunch of episodes here. And you actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. What was that like? And how did you find the podcast yourself? Um, so I was actually listening to the uh, Dana Duckworth episode that you had. Was that like a month ago? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I actually... Speaking of that, I sort of feel bad for your listeners that you said yes, because you had, you know, the great Dana Duckworth three time NCAA champion. And now uh, you're stuck with me, I guess, if you're a listener. Um, but I, I thought that maybe I would be a good fit for the show and that I don't think you've had anybody um, like we were talking about before the show with the legal background. And I do think that business and sales training has been really important to my trajectory. So I thought it might be sort of a different perspective for uh, for the show. Yeah, of course. I think that was definitely something that a lot of people don't see until they get into the business world, how much business and law is intertwined. Because you can't do anything outside of the legal boundaries, obviously. But also in the legal boundaries, you also have to you know, make money. So I think that's something you can definitely offer a really cool, interesting perspective on that I can't wait to dive into. But before we get started, where does this podcast find you? Where are you currently located right now? I'm in downtown uh, Washington, D.C. Um, my neighborhood is called Penn Quarter, so it's right next to where the uh, the Wizards and the Capitol play. That's awesome. That's a good point of reference. Yeah. How long have you been there yourself? Um, I moved here a few months ago. Um, before that, uh, I lived with my girlfriend, Abby, who's also a, a graduate of the University of Alabama. We met our sophomore year. Um, I have lived here in DC for now five years, but I've lived in my third different neighborhood. Um, and this is my favorite one so far. So, cause I'm, I'm very close to work. Um, right near the Capitol and near lots of bars and nightlife. So it's a lot of fun. That's um, that's awesome. I've, I've I've heard a lot of great things about DC. Interviewed a few people from there, so can't wait to hear more about your perspective and sort of what it's done for you. But going back to your time before Alabama, where did you grow up, and how did you eventually find yourself at the University of Alabama yourself? Yeah, so I think we might share this in common, Cole. But uh, I'm from Denver, Colorado, um, but I didn't go. I think so. You went to Regis, correct? I did Regis Jesuit. So I went to the sort of the rival high school in a lot of sports, I think, was, which is Cherry Creek. Um, and the truth is that sort of coming up and coming out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I sort of had an idea that I wanted to do something business related, but I don't really know why. Um, I knew I wanted to go somewhere with a lot of school spirit, I think, and sort of more classic college experience. 
And this isn't, again, uh, you know, University of Colorado or Colorado State. A lot of my friends went there, as I'm sure yours did, but that sort of led me to look out wanting that more traditional college experience with the big football team and the sort of rah-rah atmosphere. Um, and I ended up on the University of Alabama. And a lot of people, especially at the time, I graduated high school in 2012. So it was sort of less common for out-of-state kids to go there at the time. And so a lot of people uh, in my area thought I was nuts to go to Alabama. But um, I think it's 11 years later now, and, and here we are. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made. No, I think that was definitely a common experience. What I had is that I was graduating. I remember I was checking out at one of the uh, grocery stores in Colorado. I told the the cashier, yeah, I'm going to the University of Alabama. And she goes, do you play football there? That's awesome. And I go, no, 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 no. I cannot make that football team whatsoever. I don't even have a chance of walking on if I wanted to. I thought that was a very funny perspective yeah. a lot of people don't have. But I think my class, I believe 100 people came from Colorado to the University of Alabama. I'm sure, it's even less when you graduated. But now I was talking to Beth Hodge, the recruiter over there. It's got to be upwards of 200 is what she was saying that they're pushing. So it's definitely growing in popularity for sure. Yeah, but my youngest brother, Charlie, is a freshman now. And he's like, I think 12 people just from our high school um, are down there with him and uh, is including his roommate and, and best friend. And and so it's it's pretty wild how much it's grown. No, it's definitely popularity. It's, it's phenomenal. I love to see it. Obviously, it also spreads out the alumni network even more. Something you definitely will talk about later is very prominent in D.C. itself, the watch parties and whatnot. You came to Alabama. I was here from Colorado. Did you know what you wanted to study or what area you want to go into yourself? No, I, I think I, I think I originally wanted to look at political science um, as a field of study. Um, not again, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but ended up on economics because it sort of included some political science elements, but it was more marketable as a degree. So essentially, I just thought I had a better chance of you know, getting a job or getting a job more easily when I got out, but really didn't put more thought into it than that. Um, and the truth is, is sort of just like coming out of high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I thought maybe economics sounded impressive, at least it did to me at the time. Um, but really the main activity that I was involved in and, and what allowed me to sort of improve my confidence and, um, develop was uh, student government association. So student government association, could you explain to those listeners that might not know about that, what that entails and what you did yourself? Yeah. So I was, I ended up being one of the senators for my college. Um, and I think a lot of schools have some sort of student government association, but it's taken, I think a lot more seriously at Alabama for whatever reason, like the elections are always sort of followed and um, there's a huge budget that goes along with it. And the process of campaigning for student government for me was um, really important because I think there's a tendency probably at a lot of schools, but at Alabama too, particularly in the Greek system to sort of stay in a little bubble. Um, and the process of campaigning and then winning a seat and having contact with leaders all around campus just got me out of that bubble and it exposed me to a lot of the most ambitious people at the school and really sort of challenged me to be better because a lot of the people that 
I was with um, in the Senate ended up doing and are doing now really, really impressive things. And so it just expanded my network. And um, a lot of the folks I still keep in contact with are from that process. I think that's a very common thread that at least I've experienced and quite a few of my friends have experienced is the fact that no matter what position, if you're involved on campus, you start to get to know a lot more people, just that network automatically spreads because you're having to constantly reach out, especially as part of positions in SGA. It's very social activities, which despite like whatever you do itself, the people and the networking connections that you make can do so much for you in the future, like you said, no matter where they go. Now, economics, it can be applied everywhere. Like you said, there's a lot of different, you know, yeah. parallels to economics. We had John List, the economist from the University of Chicago on our podcast a little while ago. He was just talking about all the important things you can do with it and how it's such a diverse skill set. Where did you find yourself going after graduation with an economics degree? Yeah, so I mean, I again, I didn't have like a full direction, but what happened was um, my junior year of college, uh, a guy, an older fraternity brother that I graduated named Andrew Gagliardi came back on campus for the LSU game. And I, I think this is stretching the, the limits of my memory, but I think that was when we beat LSU when they had Odell Beckham Jr. So great game. Um, but he just looked like he was doing really well. He was living in Portland, Oregon, working for this financial company. And I was looking for an internship for that summer because everybody said you needed to have an internship between the junior and senior year. And I asked him about it. He gave him, he gave me his business card. Um, I didn't look at it until the next day, but it said that he worked for Fisher Investments and I ended up sending him an email. Um, and he helped me out with getting an internship. And so I ended up working there between my junior and senior year in a rotational internship program and then moving there right after I graduated. Um, so that was in 2016. Now, for a lot of people that might not be familiar with the financial industry, with investments, could you explain what Fisher Investments does and sort of what purpose they serve for people? Yeah, so it's a huge company. It's the largest privately owned registered investment advisor in the country. And there's a lot of different functions. I actually worked in several different groups within Fisher um, during the course of my sort of, I would say short but notorious career there. Um, but the first thing that I did was working for the institutional group, which sort of uh, sold equity strategy, so stock strategy to um, different large companies, corporations, and pension plans. Um, there's also a retail side of the business, which if you watch like MLB network or, um, sort of, uh, there's a lot of advertisements for that. And so that's for like sort of the more common, um, investor with half a million dollars that just doesn't really know what to do with it and wants to retire and needs some financial planning and investing expertise. But what I did mostly, like I said, was on the institutional side. So um, I was hired to go out there and become a, a associate vice president. Another situation where I maybe did something because it sounded impressive to me, but I, I got out there and uh, the very fancy title where I was dialing and setting appointments and setting a calendar for a vice president. Um, and the person that I was attached to when I first got out to Portland was 
this was the first sort of huge stroke of luck in my career was a guy named Tommy Romero, who was a great, great mentor. Um, and he his territory was actually included Alabama. So um, I learned a lot from him and we were calling on these large pension plants, large companies in the Southeast. And then we'd go out and meet with them together, but he took the lead in those relationships. I think that's something a lot of people discount nowadays is that idea of like a mentorship, especially early in a career, finding someone that can not only vouch for you, push for your success inside of a company, but also teach you those hard lessons that you might not have learned in school, but that they can also help facilitate in a safe manner. Is that what you found yourself with him? Yeah, I was, I was very lucky. And you know, something that sticks with me that I still say to myself every day is I was, I must've been 21 when I first started working for him. And so naturally I would complain about things, um, probably too much. And every single time I would bring up something that was a, a hardship or something that I didn't know how to do, or just a, had a complaint because I was young, he would say, Jake, there's only two things you can control. It's your attitude and your activity, just your attitude and your activity. And I still think about him saying that every day. I mean, that was the most important lesson that he taught me. He was also just enormously patient with me um, in teaching me sort of the art of sales. Um, and I think I still use a lot of those skills that he taught me to this day. I think sales is another thing that no matter what you do or what role you serve, you have to know. I think that's something I actually went to a event that was hosted by ENG Gallo Winery. And they were saying one of the guys that was presenting was going, no matter what, we want every single person or organization to be trained in sales. That's, that doesn't mean you're cold calling. That yeah. just means you know how to serve a client and how to facilitate business in the most efficient way possible. I think that's definitely something a lot of people don't think about while they're in school. They're like, oh, I'm just going to serve this one purpose. But no matter what, they're selling a person, a product, a service, yourself. Like you want to be able to have those skills, not only to talk to people, but also to present in a, in a way in which you're going to make money and hopefully facilitate in the future. But working at Fisher yeah, Investments. You're, you're preaching to the choir. I think work. I, I would just say you're preaching to the choir. I, I think of sales sort of as like being really fast or something in athletics where whether you're playing soccer or basketball or tennis, I mean, it applies in different ways, but no matter what you're doing, it's always better to be fast. So it was better to know sales, whether you're a dentist or you're actually selling it. There's times where you're going to have to advocate for yourself, just like you said. And, and so I think that skill set has served me well. Uh, that's a, that's awesome. So obviously you're at Fisher Investments, but you are a lawyer now. Could you talk about like how that whole transition came up and sort of like why you decided to go back to school and specifically law school itself? Yeah. So um, what happened was Tommy and I, uh, we just tore it up. Um, we, there's metrics that they have there. I'm sure like most places that you're metricized based on the amount of activities and meetings that you're able to set and ultimately conduct and obviously sales. And Tommy and I set several records working together that I think still stand, um, five years later. And we were like, the record was like 41 appointments or something. And we were doing 85 in a month. So we were really making a ton of waves. Um, and so Fisher 
the institutional group when they were launching several months later a new product that was aimed at a different market segment. Um, it, it, this is where it gets kind of complicated, but we had been marketing to large plan sponsors and large companies, and we were trying to get involved in the mid-market, which involved um, the knowledge on some legal concepts and terms that we didn't have, expertise that we didn't have at the firm. When they needed sort of a marketing person for that effort, they called and asked me to do it. And um, I said, yes. And that's sort of why I'm here is because I uh, agreed to be on that team. Um, the investments that I was selling then were, uh, they were qualified to be something called a qualified default investment alternative. And I know that's probably, that's a mouthful, but essentially it's if you have a workplace retirement plan and somebody gives money towards it, but doesn't make an election or has money defaulted, into the plan for some reason, there's regulations about what can and can't be in that investment. And we created an investment, um, an investment vehicle to satisfy that legal standard. I became the marketing person on that task. And um, I sort of, of my own accord, became the expert on the laws and regulations surrounding the qualified default investment alternative rules. Um, I don't fully know why looking back, but it was just sort of sparked my interest for whatever reason. And um, it, it put me into contact with where I work now, which is Groom Law Group, which were sort of the experts in the space on this. So that that's sort of a long, it's an even longer story, but that's a long answer, long story short or whatever you want to say to, to your question, if yeah. that's helpful. Of course. So one thing that I always like asking people, and this is going to be very interesting to see sort of how you would classify yourself. Lawyers can be very extroverted, very outgoing. You got those trial lawyers who are always about sort of like the, the glitz and glamour being out there delivering, you know, statements and really honing in on that. You see a lot of that on TV, but for a majority of it, a lot of being a lawyer is the research side. It's that whole what's been done in the past, what can we apply that to our case right now, and how can we make this argument in the best way possible? Did you find that fascinating when you were going through learning about the laws, about the history, or is that something you were sort of like, eh, I guess I'll do this just because they told me to? Yeah, I mean, it's not something, I, I like the sort of people business part of it more, more. Um, but I mean, when I was so, when we got into that space, marketing the qualified default investment alternative, maybe this will little story will answer your question. Um, I actually, I was hand dialing, which is like any salesman now that's listening to this is going to think I'm even more of a dinosaur than they already thought with me saying that, but it was literally like one, one to get out of the building and then the area code. And then I would dial the phone number and I was dialing off of, um, these 5,500 forms that companies are required to file. But a lot of times the contact they listed was out of date, especially because there's a lot of turnover in some of these HR positions. So, and nobody knew who we were in this space. So I was literally calling these businesses and being like, Hey, is, is Frank available? And then they'd be like, Frank hasn't worked here in a year. Are, are you looking for Sheila? And I was like, yeah, Sheila. Um, hey, it's Jake from Fisher Investment. Now what made it worse was because 
this was right in the height of the Jake from State Farm commercials. <laughs> so I really put myself um, in a position there of, of getting made fun of a lot, making those calls. But I, I really in, enjoyed it after a while, believe it or not, making probably 10,000 of those calls really built my people skills. And so, I mean, I, I was interested in the law part of it, but I also think like we've been talking about sort of this whole time, there's a lot of overlap and um, I, I see myself more, I guess, as an extrovert than um, the than like a quiet research type. But um, if that answers your question. No, it does. And where did you choose to attend law school? Um, so my girlfriend, Abby and I were looking around at different cities. Um, I had been promoted to a vice president at this point on the retail side, which wasn't, I had like marketing to businesses better. And I'd also had my, um, my interest sparked in ERISA law by this point in labor law. Um, so we were sort of looking around at different cities and I had my friend Martin, who was, uh, also a graduate of Alabama business school. Um, so it all kind of ties together and moved out to DC to come to grad school at Georgetown. Um, Abby and I visited him and we sort of just fell in love and um, decided to move to DC. And I, I ended up getting the Kennedy scholarship to come to Georgetown. Um, so that was 2019. Kennedy scholarship obviously is a huge, huge accomplishment. Uh, very few people get it from my understanding of it. And obviously you were selected to do this. And law school is three years. You got L1, L2, L3. Most of the time during that the first year, everyone's relatively the same. You're learning the same basics to law. These are getting to more of the intricacies. What did that process look like for you while you're at law school? And what did you choose to focus on? Yeah, I, well, I actually almost, uh, after my first semester, frankly, I almost quit because it was so hard. Um, I got really, really bad grades my first semester. Um, I think it was partially because I was just a little bit and a little bit of culture shock. A lot of the people that I was with um, had gone to sort of Ivy League undergrad. Maybe I was a little bit underestimated, um, frankly, because of my educational background. But I, I guess not because I did do so poorly my first semester. Um, and I also didn't do anything really academic after graduating. A lot of them had sort of done research, whatever. And I, I was just going out and cold calling. Um, so it took me a little bit to get back into the swing of things school-wise, but I'm really lucky. I have a good network behind me. I have great parents, great family, and they encouraged me to um, to stick it out. And I, I ended up actually doing really well my second two years. Um, but to answer your second question, um, I focused, I was able to focus specifically on employee benefits and finance law which is one of the great things about Georgetown law is that they have such a great program. And, um, and, and that was one of the reasons I was also attracted to the school because there's a lot of law school in the city, if you didn't know. Um, and so that, that was one of the things that sort of sealed the deal for me with Georgetown specifically. That's Jake Agner, an attorney at Groom Law. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.